Maybe it's that center console of your car. Like, oh, look, honey, it's chocolate from our 10-year anniversary. We've been married 25 years. Oh, you know, that kind of, that kind of experience. All right. Those of you who work in offices, maybe it's the, uh, the pile file, what I call the pile file. It's that pile that you will get to some point, but you're not there yet, so it becomes the pile what? File. And it's just there. Maybe, ladies, you'll understand this because maybe being all over the map is kind of like looking for something in your purse. Just. I know it's in here somewhere. Here, hold this. Hold this. Hold this. Hold this. Hold this. Hold this. It's at the bottom under that sticky chapstick. Oh, here it is. Oh, it's a penny. All right? We're familiar with being all over the map. It might just remind you of real life. But when you see that God is all over your map, I hope some things take place. One, you'll be inspired. Two, you'll be encouraged. Three, you'll be strengthened. And four, I hope you experience over the next few minutes a deepened desire to follow the map maker all over the map. Three chapters in Scripture we'll look at today. We will not do deep analysis of all three. We will kind of look and move on, look and move on, look and move on, kind of being all over the map. The first one will be Psalms 39. The second one, will, Psalms 139, sorry. The next one is going to be Exodus chapter 3. The third one and final will be Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at three people with very differing, very different lives, but very similar outcomes in their lives. David, Moses, and Paul. And the three major points, in case you miss everything else and you're just wandering, trying to follow what's going on, there are three points I would like, to, like you to leave with. God might have other things, but these are the three that moved me as I was preparing. One, God is personal. Two, God is purposeful. And three, God is passionate. If you leave with nothing else, I hope those three things will stick in your mind as we look at these three stories. Take out your Bibles, the maps, if you will, for this morning. Maybe you want to get out a pen or a crayon or a chocolate finger, depending on what you're snacking on in the back. Flip the bulletin over because there are places for sermon notes. Maybe you just want to write some ideas down, or maybe you just want to doodle and kind of just draw a map. Whatever, whatever it is you want to do to kind of keep your mind hopefully focused on the spirit of the living God this morning, do so. For those of you who are members at this church, this summer we've been in the Psalms. Pastor Vaughn has taken us to the mountains. He's taken us to the wilderness. He's taken us to the deserts. He's taken us to the pastures, to the streams, and so on. Today we're going to continue the journey, Psalms 139. 24 verses that David wrote. And he is all over the map. And this morning I'm hoping you're in a participative mood because all three chapters we're going to have things that I'm hoping you will repeat or you will say to me. Not quite like a responsive reading, but kind of like a a charged-up response of reading. All righty? Um, I will give you the phrase, because, and I'll kind of say it like that, because, and you will say, you are with me. All right, so Psalms opens up, Psalms 139 opens up, and it says, Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. And then I'll say, because, and you will say, yes. And you can wake up, too. Because by the end, we're going to be yelling some things in church. I know a lot of people don't like to yell in church, but we're going to be very intense on some things that I hope with the intensity come through. 
Because you are with me, because you are with me, because you are with me. If you'd like to follow along, Psalms 139, almost as a straight read, David's, one of David's, maps that God gave to him. Again, because you are with me. That's what, that's what your line is going to be. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You know my every thought, even when you're far away. You chart the path ahead of me and tell me where to stop and rest. Every moment you know where I am because you are with me. Yes. You know what I'm doing. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You precede me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me to know. I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence because you are with me. Notice where he goes now. Check this map. If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the dead, you're there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, you're there. If I dwell in the furthest oceans, you're there. Your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light to not be around. But even in darkness, I can't hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day because in darkness and in light, both are alike to you because you are with me. You made all the delicate parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderful. Your workmanship is marvelous. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion as I was woven together in the darkness of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had even passed because you were with me. How precious are your thoughts about me. You ever think about God just thinking about you? A lot of time, my wife's been gone for a week, and sometimes you just think, I wonder what she's thinking about. You ever think that about God? I wonder what God is thinking about me. Your thoughts are precious. I can't even count them. They're outnumbered by the, they, they outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up in the morning, you're still with me. Oh, God, if only you would destroy the wicked and get them out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies take your name in vain. Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who resist you? Yes, I hate them with complete hatred. For they are your enemies and my enemies too. Search me. Probably more famous verses of the uh, chapter. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life because you are with me. Very interesting map that David draws for us very unique david reminds us that god is personal from the womb to the grave from the highest to the lowest and everywhere in between god is with us the second character moses point number two god is purposeful he is the i am in our lives turn flip to exodus backwards exodus chapter three one of my favorite favorite stories one of my favorite aspects of scripture Looking at people and how God calls them to their purpose and understanding them, understanding their purposes. As you turn there, I'll give you a little bit of context because I think it's amazing. Uh, in chapter 1 of Exodus, we have about 300 plus years of history. We have a rise of a superpower, which is the empire of Egypt. We have brutal oppression and slavery. 
We have death decrees against God's people countered by a couple of examples of extraordinary faith by the midwives who are named and by the mom of Moses. In Exodus chapter 2, another 40 years of history go. We have a birth of Moses, the rescue of Moses from the Nile, a retaliation when he murders the Egyptian, and the retreat or the fleeing of Moses all the way to Midian. Chapter 3, where we spend some time, another 40 years have passed. But here we're going to stop for one day. This is the map where you look at the world, kind of the globe of elementary school, and you spin it, and you're like, okay, where's the United States? Okay, where's California? Okay, where's San Diego? And children are, there it is. This is Moses' life, but we're going to look at, there it is in Moses' life, his one day that changed everything. Not only is God with us personally, but God is purposeful. He claims to be the I am in our lives. Exodus chapter 3. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, and he went out deep into the wilderness near Sinai, near the mountain of God. Point number one of how we get called from God, God gives us the call on the ordinary day. Growing up, I always wanted the burning bush, but I never realized it was the ordinary day. Anybody familiar with that? Like, where's the burning bush? And God's like, well, it's an ordinary day first. Like, where's the, where's Sinai? Where's the smoke? Man, I can't. I was always looking for the phenomenal and missing totally the ordinary. God shows up in a very mundane way on Moses' mundane day, following sheep, herding sheep, 40 years. And God shows up. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to him as he was in a, bla- as a blazing bush. Moses was amazed because the bush didn't burn up. Moses said to himself, I must go over and take a look. Point number two, God gets our attention in, un- in unique ways. How many burning bushes are there in the scriptures? One. Isn't that interesting? I mean, we could all be looking for our burning bushes and miss the entire call. Do you see what I'm saying? Well, there are 500 burning bushes in the scriptures. Where's mine? No, there's how many? There is one. God calls us in unique ways. When the Lord saw that he had caught Moses' attention, God called him and said, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Point number three, God calls us by name because he knows us. He doesn't say, hey, you, on the playground. He knows you. He doesn't say in our traffic experiences, oh, idiot. Learn how to drive. He doesn't say that. He calls us by name. He knows our name. Don't come any closer, God tells him. Take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your ancestors. Any of you who worry about your history, your past, God will say to you that that thing, he will say the same. I am the God of what? Your past. I am the God of your history. I already know it. David, you can't get away from it. You can't get away from me getting into your life. You cannot. I am the God of your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. When Moses heard this, he hid his face because now things started to click in his mind. And he was afraid to look at God. Point number four, God sets boundaries in our relationship. Lord told him, you can be sure that I've seen the misery of my people. I've heard their cries for deliverance from the harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. This one for me is quite moving because it's something that 
can be very frustrating, particularly for people who want to know everything and don't know everything about, you know, the, the, the invitation. Point number five, God knows the circumstances that he calls us into. Have you noticed? He knows what we, he's doing to call us in. When he invites us, he knows what our capabilities are. And he says, oh, yeah, I'm choosing you. Let's go. He knows. He doesn't sit in heaven on the throne, on the edge of his seat, thinking, man, I don't know. If, uh, a bush, a burning bush, really? You think that's going to... Mm. I mean, there's a lot of people on the planet right now. Moses is just one guy, and his, his history, he's sketchy. He knows. He knows the circumstances that he is calling you into. And that gives me hope. Verse 8, so I've come to rescue them from Egypt, from the Egyptians. God is still speaking. I've come to lead them out to a good and spacious land. The cries of the people have reached me, and I have seen how the Egyptians have oppressed them with heavy tasks. Now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. (laughs) You will lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Point number six, God comes to rescue and redeem because he hears, he sees, and he remembers. When we pray on this platform or by your bed or wherever you are, God sees, he hears, he knows, he remembers, and he takes action. I'm sending you. Great line. Great human interest line right here, verse 11. But who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Moses asks, how can you expect me to lead the Israelites out of Egypt? God calls, and what do we do? We make excuses God told him I'll be with you and you'll return here to worship me on this very mountain we make excuses God makes promises Moses doesn't really is not sold on it yet he's unconvinced Moses protested if I go to the people and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you keep in mind this is 40 years later alright they won't believe me They'll ask me, which God? Which God are you talking about? What's his name? What am I going to tell them? God makes promises. We make excuses. And then we ask questions to bolster our excuses. God replied. Very puzzling in my, in my life for many, many years. God replied, I am the one who always is. Just tell them. I am sent you. Just tell them, I am sent you. Tell them, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not only the God of your history, but the God of their history as well, the one who knows them, has heard them, and is remembering them, tell them that I have sent you. This is going to be my name forever. It's always been my name, and it will be used throughout all the generations. Point number 10. God reveals that everything is about to change because... He does not change. I'm the one. I am who I am. And I am sending you. Chapter 4, excuses. Dialogue, conversation. Chapter 5, it gets worse. Bricks without straw. Pharaoh has a, has a bit of a fit. 
when the ten, ten plagues hit. But notice what it says. God reveals to Moses in these very few precious chapters of this call of Moses, I am the map maker. I initiate everything. I am all over your map. When you were in Egypt as a kid, who was in the Nile with you? I was. Who was in the palace with you? I was. Who was in the murder scene? I was. Who was in the road fleeing you to Midian? I was. Who was at the well? I was. Who was with the sheep? I was. I was with you all this time. I am with you. And I am able to send you and use you. I'm all over your map. I'm sending you because I am able to send you. And I am purposeful because... I am who I am. Now some questions for you all. How often do we respond like Moses? I'm going to give you a ton of excuses that I've heard, that I've said, that maybe some of you are familiar with as well. Just think about these things. How often do we say these things? They won't like me. I ran away from that situation. I can't go back. I can't speak. No one listens to me. Send someone else. I need a sign. I need another sign. No, I need another sign. I'm nobody. Why me? I've made mistakes in the past. I have a criminal record. I'm too old. Moses was 80 when he told Pharaoh, let my people go. 80. Some of you might have an excuse that you're too old if you're over 80. Most of us, come on now. Well, I feel over 80. Oh, no, it's not the point. Maybe I'm too young. I have a family. I'm divorced. I'm remarried. I'm a single parent. I've never even been married. I'm too poor. I'm too rich. I can't leave all this. I have no time. I'm too busy. No, you don't understand. I am too broken, too burdened. I'm too self-centered. I'm too profane. Are you kidding me when I lose my temper? I'm too perverted. I can't even keep my thoughts straight. I have too little faith. I don't really know you, God. Who is going to believe me that you spoke to me, called me, and gave me a purpose? Who is going to believe that? What's amazing is that if we turn all those excuses around into questions that start with this phrase, who is able? All those excuses can turn into the answer that God gives. I am able. That's frightening because now we don't have excuses. Have you noticed? It's like, oh, oh, man. We may have three or four books of excuses that God will go through with us, but we don't have excuses. Moses, two and a half chapters, two and a half chapters. He, but, eh, but, but. Go, 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 go. You want signs? Fine. Here, here, here. Go, go. You don't want to go by? Fine. Aaron's been living in the mess the whole time. I'll send him. He'll meet you. You guys will go. Are we good to go? I don't know. I don't know. Now I'd like for you to repeat this phrase. Two words. I am. I'm going to ask the who is able questions. Just a few. And I want you to respond. I am. Not that you as a person are, but who? That is God's answer to us. Does that make sense? All right. With some fervency. Who is able to like me? You like that? A lot of people say, well, my parents have to love me. I'm their child. 
Like is different. Who is able to like me? I am. Who is able to heal me? Who is able to transform me? Who is able to redeem my failures? Who is able to speak through me? Who is able to answer the why me questions? Mm. Who is able to turn my burdens into blessings? Who is able to look past my financial or my family status? Who is able to take my age, my gender, my ethnicity, my background, and my story? Who is able to take my excuses and turn them into examples and go everywhere with me? I am. Who is able to do immeasurably more than I could ever think or ask or imagine? I am. I am. I am. Go ahead. You can make that list. Moses did and he gave it to us in the record. You can make that list of excuses. And God will take every single one of them and say, I know, but I am. So I'm still sending you. David, you're with me. Moses, I am able. God is personal. God is purposeful. Now flip all the way to the New Testament. Third story, third verse, third map, if you want to call it that. Context of Romans. We're going to go to Romans chapter 8. For those of you who remember Pastor Julio, I believe this is one of his favorite chapters. Perhaps when you read portions of it, you'll understand, you'll understand why. It is powerful, and Paul knows a lot of what he is talking about because he had quite a map if you read his life. To remind you, Romans chapters 1 to 3, Paul states that regardless of your title and your status and your position, who you think you are and who others think you are, doesn't matter because you've all fallen short. I've fallen short of the glory of God. Remember that statement? Okay, All have fallen short. Thus, in chapters 3 to 6, Paul explains that faith in God through Christ is the only way to be put right, the only way to be reconciled, to be justified. Chapter 7 then reveals the struggle, because it is a struggle, between the spirit that dwells within us of God and the sinful nature that dwells within us as well. But it is promised that victory is ours. And in chapter 8, where we'll spend some time, chapter 8 is the center of the book. There are 16 chapters in Romans. 8 is the center. Chapter 8 resounds with the inseparable love of God for his children. 37 verses. Meant to be read straight through. Because it was a letter. And if you divide out your family letters by verses, I'm going to read page 2, section 3 today. We went to the beach and saw... Da, 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 da. We don't do that to the family letters. Romans wasn't intended to be sectioned out, but we do that. And so we make some, wouldn't it make some sense from that this morning? Listen to what Paul says. I won't read the whole chapter. And at the end, we had this very intense, I hope, experience that we'll come to know that nothing separates from the love of God. All through the book, God, 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 Christ, 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 sufficient and saving, sufficient and saving. Your faith mattered, but your faith in Christ is the most important thing. So he says here in verse 1, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. The power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you through Christ, freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Interesting, Paul says, the law of Moses couldn't save you because of your sinful nature. But God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent his own son in a human body like ours, except ours were sinful. God destroyed sin's control over us by giving his son a sacrifice for our sins. Drop down to verse 12. So, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation whatsoever 
to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You are no longer captive, in other words. 13, for if you keep on following it, you'll die. You'll perish. It's over. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, you turn from it and its evil deeds and you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Drop down 21. All creation anticipates this day when God's children will be in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to now. And even Christians, although we have the Holy Spirit within us as foretaste of the future glory, even we groan to be released. We too wait anxiously for that day when God will give us the full rights to be children and give us the new bodies that he has promised. 26, the Holy Spirit helps us in our distress. The Holy Spirit takes our prayers, changes and molds them and groans to the Father. And the Father understands the Spirit because the Father understands our hearts. That's what it says. Verses 26, 27, 28. Romans 8, 28, probably most of us have that in our heads. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Verse 31, what can we say about these things? If God is for us, what? Who can be against us? When you start soaking in on what God has done, you stand differently and you say, what, the world? Please. Yes, it's pressure. Yes, there's temptation. Yes, there's suffering. Yes, I groan to get out of it. I'm ready to go. But if God is for us, who, who can be against us and even think that they're going to win? God didn't even spare his own son, but gave his own son for us all. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Is God going to accuse us? No. He's the one who's given us the right to stand with him. Who then is going to condemn us? Is Jesus Christ going to condemn us? No. For he is the one who died for us. What sense does that make? He was raised to life for us and is sitting at the high place of God next to him, pleading for us. And at this point, Paul, as is his style, starts making lists. Sometimes it's a list of horrible things. Sometimes it's his resume. Sometimes it's a list of his story. This is just a list of circumstances. The point, nothing that is ever on the planet can separate us from God's love. The word that you will now have is no. N-O. I'm going to read this to you, and I hope that you can sit up a little straighter, and I really hope that you will come to grips with these truths from Paul's experience through Jesus Christ. If you want to go louder and louder and louder, there are about 17 one-word circumstances. I did this with my class, seniors, last year. And we stood, we actually stood, we went outside on the field and we stood in lines, 20, uh, like 15 here and 15 here. And I said the word and then they screamed, no. And I said the word and they screamed, no. And it's cool because if you've ever been at the, the academy, um, we're surrounded by basically concrete walls. And so the no's just echoed through the, through the, through the area. And they got kind of anticipated, they got kind of like jazzed about it and they were like, what? Let's do it again. So we went to the locker room, which is even closer and more loud and, um, even more, you know, hard services. And we screamed our heads off in there. Well, death, no, life, no, demons, no, Donna, no, no. Whatever I said, 
throughout Paul's list. They screamed. So the little veins right here started to pop. They walked out with a different view of what God's love is. I don't know if your veins are going to pop. You're more than welcome to. Because it'll change you. It does. It changes you. It will change you. So at whatever level you're willing to know and, and come to understand that nothing separates us, I invite you to say no as I go through this list. All right? First one, Paul says, verse 35, and then we're just going to fire down through. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? No. Can trouble? No. Calamity? No. Persecution? No. Hunger? No. Cold? No. Death threats? No. no. Despite all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. For I am convinced, Paul says, that nothing can separate us from God's love. Can anything separate us from God's love? Shall death, life, angels, demons, the present, the future, the powers of all, shall height? How about depth? Can anything in all creation separate us? No. Some of you are smiling. Some of you felt that. No. What does Jesus say to Satan at the temptation when it's finally over? Get, if you're King James people, get thee behind me. It sounds pretty classy. If you're just desperate, it's like, leave. Nothing, nothing separates you from God's love. Five years old, 55 years old, 15 years old, or older. Not even death. Paul reminds us, point number three. God is passionate. He is crazy about you. If you're like me, you probably know what it's like to be all over the map. David knew it. Moses knew it. Paul knew it. And then they realized that God was all over the map as well. In fact, God was the map maker. God is personal. God is purposeful. God is passionate as a map maker. When you see God all over your map, I hope you are inspired. I hope you are encouraged. I hope you are strengthened. I hope that you experience a deepening desire to follow the map maker personally, purposefully, passionately, all over the map. Bow your heads for prayer. Kind Father in heaven, We've asked you many times to go with us. And this morning I simply ask that we will choose to go with you wherever you lead. Amen.